0: Well, if you follow the news and, and, you know, following what's happened with the tornadoes is fine, but a lot of times if you follow the other news that's going on, which I'm not sure I'd recommend anymore, we're actually in a time of year when there will be that good old inevitable war on Christmas, We live in the time of culture wars from both the left and the right. It seems as though every year there are issues at schools over songs that can or can't be sung, and there are complaints that having things too focused on Christmas is an infringement upon the rights of people who don't want it. And to be honest, in some ways, I find this pretty doggone tedious. Obviously, I love Christmas, but I don't want to be caught up in a fight like this. I I don't actually believe that we need to be in control of of, of things and the narrative in order for the gospel to be made known in the world around us. You know, if I have a clerk come up to me and wish me happy holidays, I don't jump across the the counter and yell at him, you've got to wish me Merry Christmas. I just, I honestly, I don't care that much about that. I would rather have my heart join with the angels and proclaim glory to God in the highest And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I want to spread the news of a Savior who was born to bring life and hope. And the war that I actually want to fight is the war against the enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the way to fight this is by proclaiming a message that includes humiliation. We don't necessarily like to hear that. It's not a message of some conquering military hero, but of a baby born in Bethlehem who lived most of his life in relative obscurity for three years, had a ministry, and then died by the age of 33 as a common criminal. But there's more to that story, isn't there? Because it is a glorious story. It was not left in humiliation, but it ended with exaltation, and we see that rhythm in our very text this morning. This morning, we look at the birth of Jesus, the announcement of his birth. In it, Luke sets forth uh, really a beautiful contrast, because humiliation is the way the, the life of our Savior begins, the way much of his life is lived. But here also, the angels foreshadow the glory that is to come, that will be his and will be for all those who humble themselves before the Lord. There's a pattern in the life of Christ, a, a pattern in, in the life of believers. It is humiliation before exaltation, before glory. And I think knowing this pattern actually brings us hope and comfort and peace. So let's look at verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Corinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. That's the beginning of the story of the birth of the Savior of sinners, of the Lamb of God. And it begins with the man's being placed on Joseph and Mary by someone higher and stronger than them. It begins with them following orders. They, along with the world under Caesar's rule, are required to take part in a census. And actually, not wherever they are, but in their own hometown. So this requires travel from Galilee, from Nazareth to Judea, verse 4, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he, Joseph, was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. This required a, a, a journey of some 80 to 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And since Mary at this point, as a betrothed, was essentially his wife, she went with him very, very much pregnant. That surely was not an ideal journey for a pregnant woman at this time, but Joseph knew he must return to his hometown, and he was not going to leave Mary alone. Now, it doesn't seem like a great situation, does it? It doesn't seem ideal, but it also wasn't set forth primarily by Caesar. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, this happened at just the right time in just the right manner, appointed by God for all of it to take place. This was exactly what God had planned in order to bring about the redemption of His people. And we can look at several Old Testament passages and and see that God was actually just working things out after the counsel of His will. It was from Bethlehem that the ruler of His people would hail. Micah 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old from ancient days folks it was actually god not caesar that ultimately sent joseph and mary to bethlehem And we also see in our text how Bethlehem is highlighted as the city of David, that Joseph was in the line of David. This is important. This is meant to draw our attention, and and the original readers would go back to that covenant made with David. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. One in the line of David. Remember the connection back to what Gabriel announced to Mary in chapter 1, starting in verse 32. And the Lord God will give to him, this baby, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So folks, this less than desirable um, situation of travel to Bethlehem It was to fulfill the promises God had made. It was all to work for the glory of His name and the good of His people. And so we read then in verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. So here was God incarnate. God come to earth in the flesh, humbled himself. This is the child Jesus. He's no ordinary child, and yet he is born into very, very humble circumstances. God incarnate was wrapped in simple cloths and laid in what amounted to a feeding trough. He came with no fanfare, There was no paparazzi there to capture every moment, to keep the world informed of this earth-shattering event because, honestly, the world had no idea that this earth-shattering event had actually taken place. Yet, through this birth, everything changed. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. That is a beautiful passage. Our God, rich, became poor so that we who are poor might become rich. He came in humble circumstances so that we would know life, no, abundant and full life. So, so here is this, this little child born in a manger in a relatively insignificant town about five miles from Jerusalem, and yet this child is going to completely change the world. He came in humility. Virtually every circumstance surrounding his birth was humble, but his work will not and would not end in humility, and there is a glimpse, a loud glimpse of what is to come in our passage Because at the moment, this this very normal event of a birth is taking place, something absolutely glorious occurs. For out in a field, there are shepherds, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them with the glory of the Lord shining all around, and it's magnificent, and it it highlights this humiliation to glory, that humiliation does not have the last word. But here I have to confess something. Every time I read this passage… Though I I resisted the urge this year, I couldn't. I, I watched a clip of one of my favorite one minute and 51 seconds ever played on television history. It's the greatest Christmas special ever, Charlie Brown. And I want us to watch what goes on here. So just sit back and enjoy this minute and 51 seconds.
1: Hopeless, Charlie Brown. Completely hopeless. Rats! You've been dumb before, Charlie Brown, but this time you really did it. <laughs> <laughs> what a tree! <trip. laughs> I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all
0: about, Charlie Brown. Absolutely nails it, doesn't he? And I actually love how it starts off with Charlie's humiliation. And then he hears the good news. And I actually read that Charles Schultz demanded that this scene be played, or he would not release the whole show. Because he knew how important it is that the gospel is clear. And so you just see this. And, and one of my favorite parts of that is when Linus says, fear not, what's he do? He drops his blanket, his security. Because the security is found in Christ and in the hope of the gospel. So he tells us everything we have here. What, what do we have? We have shepherds. Shepherds out in the field, these downtrodden, these looked down upon the sinners, the, the sinners. They're poor, and the first pronouncement of the birth of Jesus comes to them, not to kings, not to the royal, but to the poor and the humble, to shepherds keeping watch over their flock. This angel appears and fear falls on them, and as is typical, the angel has to reassure them, has to comfort them that his presence doesn't bring terror, but actually, you know, helps proclaim the good news that he is going to tell them. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. He doesn't merely say fear not, really the most repeated negative admonition in all of Scripture. He doesn't just say fear not. That's not the only reassuring part, but it's the entirety of this declaration. And I want you to see also that this is the start of that movement from humiliation to exaltation from the humble circumstances to glory. This is the very loud and open, visible demonstration that there is more to that birth in Bethlehem than what appears to be happening on the surface. But what is the angel saying? He tells of good news. What the angel brings is an announcement of something very significant. Throughout the New Testament, the word that the angel uses is uniformly used when it's a noun as gospel. It's the message of salvation, salvation provided by God himself. It is also of great joy. Folks, the event that is good news is not, it's not something minor. It's not something that, that, that we would be okay knowing or not knowing. It really doesn't matter. It's kind of indifferent. No, this is great. This is magnificent joy. And it is for all the people. It is a universal declaration, all people without distinction. This is not for the people of Israel only, but for the world. So what is this news? What is so amazing? Verse 11, "...for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." These shepherds are hearing the news as it happened, better than CNN or Fox could ever relay. Here, the one promised from long ago, the, the one that the people have been waiting for that would restore Israel, restore the people of God, is born that very day. And He is Savior. And that term speaks of deliverance from enemies. There's rescue from peril. So even with His name, you see a combination with fear not, you have a Savior. Fear not. You have a Savior. They would have associated the term Savior probably primarily as freedom from enemies, but it's much deeper than that. It's actually spiritual first with ramifications in all other areas of life. Now, typically in the Old Testament, this term Savior was used to describe God. Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Habakkuk 3.18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in God my salvation. God is the Savior, and there is in this, we see this connection between salvation and joy, and salvation and the absence of the need for fear. This is the one that is born. This is the one bringing salvation. He is Savior, but He's also Christ. Now, Christ is more of a title, the Messiah. The idea here is that He is the the, the heir to the throne of David. He's the royal one, the, the king. Not just a simple Savior, not that being Savior would be simple, but He's more than that. He's the royal deliverer, the royal Savior. And He's Lord, Lord. He is Master Sovereign. He's in complete and utter control. This child born is actually Lord. He's God himself come to earth to free his people from their enemies, to set them free from the most dreadful bondage, the bondage that all mankind is under, the bondage of sin. But Folks, one thing that we have to see is the emphatic nature of this announcement. Because the angel says words like, I bring you Good news, for unto you is born this day. John Calvin wrote of this. He said, it would, have been, it would have given no great delight to hear that the author of salvation was born, unless each person believed that for himself he was born. In the same manner, Isaiah says, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And Zechariah, behold, thy king cometh unto thee lowly. Folks, the great news about this announcement is it's not generic. This is not, hey, somebody won the lottery. Great, that does nothing for me. This is, unto you is born a Savior. I bring you good news of great joy. It's birth with a purpose. It's a birth to save people. He is actually for us. For those who humble themselves, for those who repent and believe. And then the shepherds are told how they will know when they find this child, because he will be wrapped in swaddling cloths. But as that very statement from the angel is finishing, there is a sudden disturbance. An entire multitude of the heavenly host appear praising God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. I I love this glimpse of heavenly praise. I I, I truly cannot even imagine what that would look like. A multitude, the whole, the, the host of heaven. You're in a field. You're with your sheep. First, an angel shows up. You're scared to death. And then, as he's talking, the whole host of heaven show up this might wake you up to, there's something important here. I mean, that, that's kind of that, you know, that's, that's more than like the, the Batman symbol going on that says, hey, there's, tr-. this is like, you really need to pay attention to this. Because the promise has arrived, and the angelic host of heaven cannot contain themselves. They can't. And I love how Peter wrote about salvation. The beginning of his first letter, uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 10, he writes this. He says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that, they have, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then this very last line, things into which angels long to look. It's easy to to walk right over, to to just read right past that line, things into which angels long to look. These angels, this host of heaven, I think they're they're, they're like, who knows, maybe they're fighting for the front row to see what's going on down there. I want to see the start of of God's working of redemption. I want to see the birth of this baby. I want to see our Savior, who we've been with in heaven, who took on flesh to become a baby so that he could save people. It's not not for us, but this is so amazing. We've got to, we, we long to look at it. We will do everything we can to look. It's so glorious, so magnificent. The beauty of it draws the stunning gaze of perfect beings. Witnessing God's power at work in humble circumstances, is amazing, and it magnifies the power and the glory of God. You see, because the gospel is for men and women with whom God is pleased. It's an echo of Mary's song where she sang, His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. God's favor comes to the humble the contrite. And really what that means is those who know they are creatures. They are dependent beings who do not live autonomous lives, but live in dependency upon their God. It is more than just that we know we're sinners, but we actually know we're creatures, and we don't rule the universe. It comes to those who are humble. And so this is what the shepherds heard. And it's all mind-boggling. I can't imagine what was going through their head. But when they heard it, and they heard that it was for them, they heard that this message was directed to these lowly shepherds in the field, they responded. When the angels left, they turned to each other, and they probably knew each other fairly well, and Maybe they gave that look to each other. They they might not even have to say a word, and they just basically made it clear we gotta get out of here. We gotta go see what it is that they're talking about. We can't stay here and just keep hanging out with these sheep. We, we gotta go. And so they responded. There was no hesitation, which I don't think could have been all that easy because they did have a whole flock of sheep. And maybe two of them drew short straws and the rest got to go and two stayed behind. I don't know, but they went. They went to see, and they found Mary and Joseph and this baby, and they told them what had happened. They told them what had happened, what had happened because this baby had been born in Bethlehem. And their words brought absolute wonder. But for Mary, it They brought a little bit more than wonder. Verse 19 says Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Mary knew much more than they probably assumed she did about the birth of this child. They, they didn't know anything about the visit from Gabriel and her time with, with Elizabeth when, when John the Baptist leapt in the womb, and, and Elizabeth's like, How, it's amazing that the mother of my Lord should visit me. They, they, they knew nothing about that. They didn't know about Zechariah's silence, most likely. And here she hears the words that an angel relayed to these poor shepherds, and she treasured them. It was just another layer upon the already magnificent pile of things she had been told and had experienced. It was further confirmation that this child was actually her Lord, her sovereign, her King, her Savior. And I think that's a wonderful example for us, treasuring God's words and work. Because when you treasure something, you store it up for careful consideration. You guard it. You hold on to it as, a, as something of immense value and worth to be cherished, to, to be mined, to be looked at and regarded as supremely worthy. And she pondered all this in her heart, in the depths of who she is. And so, folks, I wonder, do we treasure up the truth of the gospel in our hearts? Or do we leave this room on Sundays and the world crowds everything out and it becomes our treasure? And we have Jesus as a treasure for an hour and a half or two hours on Sunday. Proverbs tells us, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. What you treasure matters. What you treasure matters. But I, I honestly think it's not just Mary's response that's helpful, but the response of the shepherds as well. Because these are people no one gave a second thought to. Honestly, they're the everyman. They're us. We're the shepherds. And yet the angel brought them the message first. And the Lord is proclaiming the same message to you right now. It's a message of hope to the humble and the downtrodden. And so their response is amazing. They go when they heard. They tell of it all. And when they leave, they return to glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. Folks, the story of redemption it is absolutely worthy of glory and praise. It's worth endless contemplation. I'm, I'm positive the shepherds were shaped deeply by this. How could they not be? Changed by what happened because they did what anyone should when the gospel is proclaimed to them. They responded with haste to go see and to hear. So listen again. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Folks, in our day and age, we are not used to news that never gets old. I turned on the TV a couple weeks ago thinking, I just want to see what's happening in the world. And it was endless the same exact thing. And I wanted to throw the remote through the TV because I'm like, can we just, something, it got so old. This is news that never gets old. This is news that I want to hear proclaimed on every station, every single day. And in my heart, you see, no one can ever take away the luster and the glory of news that is truly good. No one can take away the luster of the message of the Savior born for us. The news that God took on flesh, that he humbled himself so that we could know life. It is truly astonishing. This is the news of God redeeming his people from their sins. This is the fulfillment of all that had been promised and hoped for. And so, the song of Christmas, glory to God and the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, this is the song of glory to God, tells of a king who left his throne to save his people, who descended to the depths, to the earth, to take on flesh so that we could eventually be lifted up. It's a story of humiliation, but a story that will not end in Humiliation. It ends in him being highly exalted, lifted up, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. This is a song of hope for all those who know their creatures and that they need a Savior. It's a song of hope for the humble. It's comfort to those who are beat down and hurting. It's the song that glory comes. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes with our Lord. Glory comes from a child born in humble circumstances who gave himself so that we might become rich. Folks, this is what Christmas is all about. This is the greatest story ever proclaimed. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks and praise Lord, be lifted up, be exalted, be glorified. May our hearts be humbled. May our lives be lifted up in glory with you. May we not seek our own glory, but seek it only with you. Work in us more and more a love of you, a love of the gospel, a love of even the way your kingdom works, this upside-down nature of humiliation and then exaltation. Grow us in you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.